Hello and welcome to Radio SGN. I am one of your humble hosts, A.V. Eichenbaum, with me as per usual, Lindsay Anderson. She, her pronouns. Hey. I, I was just saying my pronouns are she, her because because uh, I forget to say it a lot. Yeah, my pronouns are they, them. It's the queer love issue here at Radio SGN. If you're not familiar with the premise of the show, we are the one and only podcast for Seattle's premier and longest running LGBTQ plus news media outlet, Seattle Gay News. I'm the editor-in-chief of that paper, and Lindsay's a staff writer, and we give you the dish. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. We fucking, we talk about shit. We do. It's perfect if you're lonely and you want friends, we'll be your friends. Seattle's full of lonely people. Yeah, just put us on and pretend like you're having a conversation. Speaking of lonely people, it's the queer love issue. It's our Yay. <laughs> annual Valentine's Day special issue, bringing it back for this year. And, uh, God, it looks really good. I I did draw all of the marble statue art for it, so I'm stoked on that. It turned out really well. Mike did a good job uh, putting it together. I would love to see that on merch eventually. That would be cool. I can do that. I can make that happen. Uh, if you haven't picked up a copy, you should. It was out on Friday, just as we are out every Friday. It's a double issue. Lots of news. Some true queer love stories that Lindsay found just found some people that were in love and talked to them uh, we've got platonic love we've got ace and aromantic resources and we've also got an ask izzy three ways to show yourself love and have better relationships as a result we got a lot of stuff in that first section and of course we've got the news section as per usual double issues are always really interesting because we deliver to three different library systems and without fail, at least one librarian is going to call me in a panic and say that we gave them too many newspapers. When we gave them the same amount, <laughs> it's just a twice as big issue. So go and pick that up. It's it's a lot of fun, or you can read it online at sgn.org. But before we get to all of that, it is the week of Valentine's Day. Yeah, Valentine's is tomorrow if you're listening to this the day it comes out. Uh, Lindsay, you're in a long-term relationship, and I assume this is... One of your first, because you are but a wee babe. Yes, this is my first long-term relationship, and hopefully the last. Yeah. <laughs> what is the most romantic thing that you've ever done? The most romantic thing I've ever done? Oh, man, it's I'll give you the backstory a little bit. So me and my person, we fell in love during the pandemic because we were isolated together and experienced joint Stockholm Syndrome. Healthy. And... Yeah, we watched the um, very problematic movie, Call Me By Your Name. And even though we were like, this movie kind of sucks, the vibes were just immaculate. And Isabel wanted to go to Italy. It was like, oh, this is my dream to go to Italy, but we couldn't even go outside because it was a pandemic. So I made Italian style pizza and ordered wine from the grocery store and then put on um, like an hour long clip of like a tour walkthrough of Italy. And then I was like, look, we'll pretend we're in Italy. And we just kind of had a picnic hmm. um, with candles in our living room and pretended we were in Italy. And I think that's the most romantic thing I've done. Very sweet. What about you? Um, well, two things come to mind just out of high school, I guess. I was dating someone who was still living in my hometown. So I had moved to Santa Cruz and I would take, it was like a four hour bus ride to get back home. And on Valentine's Day, I was pretty strapped for cash. Um, 
I turned my mom's very small backyard into a Tuscan-style restaurant. And my little brother was our waiter. He, he drew a little mustache on his face with, like, eyeliner and wore a suit. <laughs> and I designed a menu. I got a rotisserie chicken from Safeway. And <laughs> I designed a menu, but there's only one thing on the menu. It's the chicken. And, uh, you know, I strung up some lights and... We actually had a really lovely sort of like stone patio out back and there was some rhododendron out there and uh, bougainvillea and I arranged them and, you know, dressed up, got a little, some floral arrangements and turned my mother's small backyard uh, into a little Tuscan villa for Valentine's Day for that person. That is so cute. Um, and then I used to do this thing with... Um, an ex of mine where uh, they were really into Christmas. I'm not really a Christmas person, mm-hmm. but I love puzzles and they love puzzles. And so I used to turn our place into like a puzzle escape room and I would buy like just a bunch of gifts over the year and hide them around our apartment and I would create little puzzles and things for them to solve to unlock those gifts. Oh, that's so thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then the the thing about love right is that it doesn't always last even when you think it's going to and sometimes people hurt each other and when you're doing these romantic gestures it's not really about you right but you you got to hope that it's it's leading up to something or it's worth it but yeah. you know the the gestures themselves i like giving gifts i like to cook for people i like to um take people out on dates and go on long walks and um, I'm actually a really good cook, so I love to cook dinners for people, and people I'm seeing tend to enjoy my cooking, which is nice, too, so. That's so sweet. I am a horrible cook, so I try, but yesterday I got takeout, and it was the best meal I've ever made. <laughs> so do you have plans for Valentine's Day tomorrow, if if you're listening in real time? Um, Yeah. It's time for us to go to our ad break. And then we've got Isabel Mata for our special guest this week. And she's just fun and a half. <laughs> All that and more after these messages. Intamon Theater and the Williams Project present Lorraine Hansberry's The Sign in Sidney Brewstein's Window. Don't miss Hansberry's second Broadway play after A Raisin in the Sun in its first professional production in Seattle. Playing February 7th through 25th at the Erickson Theater. Learn more at intiman.org. That's I-N-T-I-M-A-N dot org. The Seattle Home and Garden Show is back. There's more of everything for everyone. More vendors, more shopping, more fun. Discover inspirational ideas, enjoy free seminars, decorating and landscaping ideas, and three tiny homes display. This is the largest consumer home show in the Northwest. Save the date and buy tickets now and save at seattlehomeshow.com. The Seattle Home and Garden Show, presented by Corner Pocket Billiards, February 25th through March 5th at Lumen Field Event Center. Hi, this is Dr. V. Hill with V. Hill Family Medicine. Ever wish your doctor knew you by name, understood where you were coming from, and listened to your unique health concerns and worries? I have built just such a practice where the focus is on you and the care delivered is in line with your values and ideals. Learn more about affirming primary care at V Hill Family Medicine 
visit VIGILMD.com or call 253-693-0071. Support for Radio SGN comes from Book It Repertory Theater, presenting The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. Gossip, blackmail, deception, and betrayal unsettle a peaceful English village. After a pair of mysterious deaths, infamous detective Hercule Poirot is pulled out of retirement to solve the case. Join us at this world premiere of one of Agatha Christie's most innovative and mind-bending mysteries. For tickets, visit bookit.org. That's B-O-O-K-dash-it.org. Joining me today, you know her, you love her, you've had her on before. She gives fantastic advice uh, bi-weekly at the Ask Izzy column and the SGN. She's got her own show. Isabel Mata, everybody. Isabel, how are you? And the crowds go wild. Ah! Ah! <laughs> oh my God, stop, stop. You guys are too much. Ah. Hello. <laughs> it is so great to be here again. This always just fills me up with so much joy. It's great to have you. It's it's always a delight to see you. What's new with you? It's the new year. It's February. It's the I, time of love for everybody, apparently. That's what the thing love. is. It's also been one year, almost one year since I got married. Wow. Yeah. What is, what so is married life like? Is it fulfilling? Is it everything you hoped and dreamed? Um, <laughs> let's just say that pop culture romanticizes it. Sure. A lot. They yeah. don't show the work Mm -hmm. that goes into living and being with someone 24 7. yeah it is hard it's tough i have not lived with someone for a couple of years now and it's all right it is kind of nice to be able to leave my dishes for later you know what i mean yeah i can't do that yeah no i get i get told to put my dishes away now which is fine which is fine because then i can tell them to put the toilet seat down you know, it's a give and take in our you know, relationship. You you are in a straight passing relationship. You yourself, mm-hmm. bisexual. Yeah, that's fun. That's got to be interesting. It's tough. So what's really interesting is a couple of months before I met Richard, I entered into my first queer relationship. Like first real queer relationship. I had like secretly been like hooking up with girls. Like I have been by my entire life, but mm-hmm. always like. The kind of bisexual who denies their queerness. Right. I once had a nickname actually at summer camp um, where they called me SPE, which is short for straightest person ever <laughs> because of how much I would defend my straightness. Right, of course. Which should have been the first sign that I was not, in fact, the straightest person ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had dated this girl for approximately three weeks. Mm. fell head over heels it was so wonderful and then i found out that i was going to move to los angeles and Mm. we ended amicably our quick romance actually ended with us dancing in a empty subway station to that song 1950s by mm, i don't remember do you know what i'm talking about no, but it sounds lovely. It was super lovely and super uh, gay, and we just danced, and then we kissed, and we said our goodbyes, and it was so romantic, and then I moved across the country, and I thought I was going to have this big gay adventure, mm-hmm. because I was like finally out and proud. I was like, I'm moving to LA, I'm going to meet so many queer people, it's going to be like the start of my gay journey. Mm-hmm. And then I met Richard like two weeks later. Yeah. 
and that put an end to that journey. But thus began a little bit of a messier journey of coming to terms with my queer identity, figuring out how to do that in a straight passing relationship, which has been lots of trial and error. <laughs> There's no one way to love, right? That's kind of the that's the consensus. It is tough being like, well, I'm attracted to different types of people than you expect me to be. And there's that whole, am I queer enough? Am I mm. doing enough, right? Am I allowed in this space? There is a funny sort of thing. It's like <laughs> the difference between a bisexual and a pansexual is that a pansexual <laughs> hasn't brought it up yet, you know? That's that's the only difference. But It, it is so true. <laughs> it has become a key defining feature yeah. of who I am, and that's because I'm in this straight-passing relationship, and yeah. you know, I don't really have other signifiers that show that I'm queer yeah. until I got my hair cut short, and then everybody's like, like bisexual. You, you yes. got that tattoo at the tattoo convention that we went to. Yeah, the sort of, of my bisexual, bisexual pride colors. Yeah, it's like very cosmic, very cool. Yes. Let's talk about coming out and coming to terms. So you were SPE. You were the straightest yeah. person ever. So straight. So straight. So straight. Um, and this was because I would, um, we'd be playing games like Truth or Dare mm. or like Spin the Bottle. And I'd be like, yeah. I dare you to dare me to kiss someone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not gay. You. But it's not, yeah. Uh, no, no, it's just a game. It's just a game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Lindsay and I talk about this a lot on the show because her sister does similar things, but I'm not allowed to talk. It's not my sister, so I'm not going to go yeah. into it, but you ask yeah. Lindsay about it when you see her. But I was in musical theater, which a lot of people are like, okay, all right. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. And How did it, we not know, really? Right. Uh, the, the outfits I would wear, the paisley ties, the, um, mm. I didn't really come to terms with it until I was like 18 or 19, but there were inklings, right? I remember really early on, like pre-K or kindergarten, I called a boy cute. I was like, oh, Kyle O is pretty cute. And my dad got really pissed off at me. And um, he did that thing that, I don't know if you're, like they grab your arm. It's it's a oh, yeah. thing, yeah, they grab your arm in that like pressure point and they just, you know. Yeah. Um, Ooh, it, almost as bad as the ear. The I ear. never got the ear. I have big ears <sighs> and so it would have been an easy target. I have big pointed ears and I think that my parents knew that that was a sensitive top. I don't mind them so much now. I never quite grew into my ears, but that's okay. Um, I if just any have... parents are listening, yeah. do not do these things to your child. We yeah. will be traumatized. Don't, don't. I have a whole thing about being touched now, like on the arm or like whatever, and even if it's, if it's flirtatious. So yeah. just, uh, you know, don't grab your kid by the arm. It's just generational not, trauma. Just generational trauma coming back. <laughs> and so what did it tell you when he grabbed your arm after you said a guy was cute? What... What did well, you learn from that? Yeah, well, he, he told me that we don't say that in this household, right? Oh. Which is crazy also because he was in, uh, he went to Berkeley. My father went to, he's a Berkeley-educated attorney. Um, but also, Berkeley's a little crunchy, too. Ber Berkeley's like majorly think... crunchy. Well, and he was also a co-founder of, like, the only fraternity that didn't force you to drink, the only fraternity that accepted gay people. So he was, like, in his 20s, very pro-queer. Yeah, but God forbid his son. Right, right. So he's come back around. He's very accepting of me, and he's very – my whole family, they fuck up my pronouns sometimes, but they're supportive for the most part. Did you come out at the same time as non-binary no. as you did queer? No. Um, no, I came out 
in Portland, my family was visiting. I was having some relationship, some relationship stuff, and I was kind of in between getting back together with someone for like the third time. And my we we went down to Portland, and um, I I met up with them, and I got into a little pizza place. Uh, it's, you know, we're sitting there. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna try like an open thing, you know? I'm gonna see other people. We'll still try that out. And um, my dad was like, oh, people. Guys, girls, sort of as a joke. And I was like, you yeah, know, all of the above. And he's like, oh, I don't realize that. And I said, yeah, Dad, sometimes I mac on dudes. And he, <laughs> that's how I came out to my family. Was I was like, yeah, I mean, you've seen me do that. But it was on stage, right? Like, I, I was in Dog Sees God, and I played uh, Beethoven, which is Schroeder fr- from, from Charlie Brown, and I got to kiss a dude a lot and it was like oh hmm, oh hmm. that's normal that's, that's normal good. that's it was fine yeah so yeah so that's how i came out then and i i came out as non-binary over the pandemic because i don't always feel like a guy or a gal like well there's a lot of in my head there's like a more of a feminine voice sort of mm-hmm. and i i would like to be a little bit more feminine but i'm of course Tall with broad shoulders. I've got sleek hips. Sleek, you know, sleek, but my face betrays me sometimes. Maybe you start playing around with skirts. Mm. I think that it's a whole trend that's growing, and I I love it. it. Really, when anyone across the gender spectrum are expressing their gender through fashion in ways yeah. that are a little unconventional, it's a fun place to start. Yeah, I, I like I like how I dress for the most part. This is something that a lot of gender diverse people consider is like, well, do I want to transition, you know? Yeah. And if I did, I feel like I'd just dress the same, but feel a little more comfortable. I've been thinking yeah. about it, but you never know. But I've always had that. So if we go back to like middle school, elementary school, like I've always had friends that were girls and I felt more comfortable being one of the gals, but I wasn't ever really because I'm yeah. a, you know, I'm a me, you know, instead I'm a whatever. But I'm yeah. sure you probably had some sort of feelings as an as an elementary school or middle school kid. Oh my God, so early. I remember it being as early as like, I want to say three or four years old. Mm-hmm. My mom um, was a single mom at, at that point and she brought us to summer camp and I was still too young to actually be a camper. So I had a babysitter and... She would take us swimming. We would do all the things. And then we would have to all, like, shower. And because I was, like, a little toddler, mm-hmm. we'd just shower with her. And she had huge boobs. And I remember very <laughs> vividly just, like, like that was when I became obsessed with boobs. Yeah. And then at the, my birthday party, maybe a year or two later, when the internet was just starting to pop off, like, 2002, 2003, maybe, mm. I, I showed all the kids at my birthday party how to Google boob.com. <laughs> Yeah, so I was a change maker, as you say. Wow. Yeah, but yeah. I didn't. I didn't really realize it until I was in college and I was dating a really exceptional guy who was so kind and sweet and like treated me so well. But I was bored, and mm. that's when I realized like it wasn't him as a person. It was him as a gender. Yeah. Um. But looking back, I had so many female friendships and things where, like, we'd play doctor and Mm. we would explore our bodies. 
and things that I kind of tucked away for a long time. But I also like that one summer when I was at camp and they all called me SPE was the same summer that there was another bisexual girl who was out and her and I would sneak off to the bathrooms to make out. I didn't even think you were like, but you know, that's straight. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Or like the, the time I made out with this girl at homecoming because these two boys dared us. I think we dared them to dare us. Right. Yeah. And just so many things like that where I'm like, how did I, I mean, it was the internal biphobia that made me deny it for so long because I had that insecurity of not being gay enough, not being straight enough, not knowing where I fit in that I kind of just denied it. And then I instead went the opposite direction and, you know, had sex with a lot of guys who didn't deserve it but because i was trying to like prove something to myself yeah i don't know where i was going with that but yes i had a lot of those experiences and one thing that i was thinking about as you were talking about how you feel like the inner voice you have is a little bit more feminine Mm -hmm. i actually feel the opposite for me and i've been trying to figure out where it comes from because my sense of humor is very much like a 16 year old boy (laughs) and it's it's really dirty it's really inappropriate and i'll i'll catch myself even making like homophobic comments to myself like i'll watch a movie or something that something and i'll just be like ha that's gay (laughs) (laughs) i was i was watching um just the other day i was i was introducing uh We'll call him a friend right now to a movie that I really like called Knife Plus Heart. I talked about this a little bit on the um, first episode of season three, but I love that movie. But it is very gay. It's about a woman who runs, she's the producer for like a gay porn film studio in France in the 70s. Oh, fun. But it's also like a slasher. So it's very like, there's a lot of camp and there are moments of like genuine terror, but there's also, it's almost an art. Mm, Love that. And... We were watching it, and there's a lot of making out, and there's dudes, and, like, in the middle of it, there was some dude was, like, getting his ass just, like, there's a whole thing, and I turned to them, and I go, I watched this for the plot, and <laughs> and we just, we just kept cracking up about it, but it's, I think that there is that sort of, after having it repressed for so long, being able to make these jokes about our own sexuality and having that voice in the head it's fun to be a little stupid sometimes there's nothing wrong with it but it's like if you're in a space with a lot of straight folks Mm. you can't you you can't do that because they're like uncomfortable the worst part is when you make the joke and then they think it's okay to make the joke and that's what richard my husband said to me after i was like making some comments he was like well aren't we actively trying to like fight homophobia and you're giving a mixed message when you do that and i was like Yes. And it just comes from, although I am a woman, I have the patriarchy so ingrained in me where some of that will come out and I didn't even know that's where it came from. So it's a joke, right? Like it's not, you're not, you're not serious. Where does it come from? It's It's the subversion of norms there. Right. Yes. And it's because I grew up with a dad who would make a lot of comments like that, who would make a lot of inappropriate jokes about women Mm. and just like really sexist things. It'll come out of me because that's what I grew up listening to. So I'm currently trying to 
not do that because it does hurt my inner child mm. a little bit. But I too watch movies for the plot. <laughs> Don't yeah. worry, darling. Mm. I watch that for the plot a lot. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen it? I have not. Oh, you really should. There's a great plot scene between Florence Pugh or Pug or whatever her name is and Harry Styles hmm. um, that that makes me feel things theatrically. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, that's neither here nor there. Sure. Harry Styles, what's his whole deal? Because he's not queer. I think he is. A lot I of people, think he is. He, that's queer baiting, right? Like he's actively working towards that without coming out because he's safe to come out and that'd be fine uh maybe i don't know people sit talk about this with taylor swift as well right yeah we've talked about this on the show yes and i'm very passionate about taylor swift being bisexual because she has said it you know she's done it in colors in her songs all of these things that show that she is a part of the queer community but people are really upset that she hasn't said the words Mm -hmm. and i too am upset about it because I know the impact it would make if she did. Same right. with Harry Styles. Having that big of a platform and saying, I'm queer, this is who I am, I think it would be huge. Yeah, I, but I mean, like, Elton John, you know, yes. came out as gay. Mm-hmm. Everyone was fine with that. Lil Nas X, we talk yeah. about him way too much on the show. Thanks, Lindsay. Like, there have been gay country singers for a long time, but, it, you know, the lavender country and everything. But it seems like it Wait, would be... Wait, have you seen... Sorry, this is totally off topic. Sure. Have you watched... The Fletcher, Miley Cyrus, New Year's Eve, singing Midnight Not even Rain. a little. I'm not that kind of queer, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for listeners who are that kind of queer, yeah, yeah, yeah. you need to watch it. Google Fletcher, Miley Cyrus, Mwah. A+. Plus. Yeah, I'm like the monster energy drink Daria queer. I love that. Uh, I fell more into the emo sphere. Growing up, you know, I listen. I still listen to like emo music. There's an emo ska band out there called Sorry Sweetheart. They just came out with a new single that I really love. People shouldn't be surprised by that emo ska. That's my gender. But yeah, I have a question. Yeah, go for it. Did you have any relationships as a kid, friendships, that you think with someone else who maybe was also queer but didn't know it also? But if when you look back at some of those friendships, you're like, we probably had some unhealthy codependency issues and big falling Uh, outs and things like that i i'm not great at maintaining friendships i wasn't really allowed to have a lot of uh friends over all the time i had a couple of core friends but i do remember in middle school a very close friend of mine came out to me uh, as bisexual you know and and he was like very open about it with me and, and not a whole lot of other people and i think that he was looking for confirmation you know thinking back to it right we knew each other from like kindergarten we'd like hold hands and i really uh i really did care for him quite a bit but i wasn't really allowing myself to explore that at that point and i was happy just being like miserable and i still do that i still roll around i wallow in my own misery sometimes i throw myself onto the couch like a victorian lover yes just oh, oh my dream is a fainting couch yeah and so i got rid of my couch <laughs> so, oh. so i would stop doing that and now i just spend a lot of time in bed but there were people in my life that i'm like oh i was like in love with this person not yes. not him particularly but like other friends of mine that back in the day i was like oh we're just close friends it's just 
you guys being guys. Yeah, it's just a you small know? obsession. Just a little, yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily become obsessed, but they, there were real feelings there. And I also, as someone who's neurodivergent, I have trouble sometimes with platonic versus romantic. Mm. Oh, me too. Love. I didn't really have a whole lot of experience with the non-romantic after a certain point. And maybe this has happened for other people as well. Is there are a lot of people that we become friends and then we become more than friends and it's uncomfortable and I don't know how to turn them down always and maybe they want something more from me. But I'm working on finding those boundaries, right? And, and, and I never really had those boundaries in the first place and I've ended up hurting a lot of people because I don't say anything until it's too late. Sometimes also hurting I'm, yourself. Well, it's, yeah, but it's like, you know, it takes two to tango. It's like, I didn't want to hurt anybody, but a lot of my friendships were sort of like that. And then I just didn't have friendships for like a long time. I've never been good with that. And I, and I learned probably around 24 that I had borderline personality disorder. I now think that I have just too many neurodivergencies that diagnoses are just like bullshit to me. Mm. Um, but I have always struggled with maintaining friendships and relationships. And one of the reason is the boundary thing, like you said, because if somebody wanted to be my friend and then after a little bit of time, they wanted more than that. I was so afraid of abandonment of them, like not wanting to be my friend anymore that ultimately I would just give in and do what they want. Right. Yeah. Which ends up hurting me because I'm, being pressured into making a relationship romantic when I didn't even want that in the first place, but I'm so scared of losing them by setting a boundary that I just ignore my own needs. Yeah. And you're also a child of divorce too. Yeah. So like, and that's the thing that happens with a lot of kids and there are a lot of queer folk out there that, God, we've been talking for a while. I know. Um, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, we're just so fun. <laughs> yeah. We're just, Diving into our trauma, which is a delight <laughs> for the listener. I actually think that it's helpful. I do. I mean, I hope that it's not just because, like, we just like talking and hearing ourselves talk. Like, I like hearing myself talk. I like hearing you talk. It's a perfect oh. pair. So I hope other people like hearing us talk. Well, that's real sweet. What I hope for when I dive into things like this is that there are people out there that also feel the same way and know that they're not alone because yes. I thought I was alone for a really long time, and I'm not. You know? I'm learning that now. As a bisexual person in a the straight passing relationship, one thing I've learned that's super important for me is queer friendships and mm -hmm. being a part of the queer community. Yeah. And I have never had that before until I met you at that queer fest. And yeah. I was like, I want to spend more time with these people because I feel seen and I feel valid. So that's what my advice would be for other queer people who are either in straight passing relationships or anything like that is like find queer friends you don't just need to be in a queer partnership like queer love can be so much more than romantic if you open yourself up to it yeah absolutely but be careful because those those boundaries keep them up boundaries. you gotta you gotta yes. you gotta communicate really clearly boundaries are love boundaries is a way that you protect yourself and you protect others Absolutely. And if you don't uphold them, then you're just like saying that you don't deserve good things. And you do. Everyone deserves good things and to be treated with kindness and respect. Everyone but me. Let's go. No. No. Um, no. Yeah, but. <laughs> well, Isabel, it has been a delight to have you on the show. Where can people find you online? People can find me on TikTok at IL Calkins. I haven't changed my username to my new name yet. Um, I'm on all of the places. Just look up Isabel Mata, Isabel Calkins. 
I'm trying to be less online. So if you find me, you find me. But you can find me in the Seattle Gay News every other week. Please submit your questions to ask Izzy. The more detailed, the better. I want to help you with your life and give unsolicited advice, except it is solicited because you're asking for it. So please do it. You can go to the SGN website. There's a little tab at the top that says Ask, ask Izzy, and you can submit your question there. Or you can email it at info at sgn.org. That is correct. Also, you have your own podcast as well, which we mentioned very yes. briefly, Being Yourself Loudly. Yes. Yes, Being Yourself Loudly. I just had an episode come out where we talk all about the inner critic with my friend Jerry Ann Perez, who is on the Six National Tour. It's a Broadway musical. She's playing the lead. Um, it's a really great conversation, and it's now streaming wherever you stream your podcasts. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon. Yes, thank you for having me. Bye. And we're back. Isabel's show, Being Yourself Loudly, is now part of the Seattle Gay News Podcasting Network. She's the first addition to this network. We're growing our following, and I'm just so excited. I'm glad that you guys uh, wanted us to do more with Isabel, and um, I'm glad that we have her around. She's just a delight. Lindsay, what are we talking about this week? We've got... Uh, all of this love stuff, I'm done with it. I'm sick of it. Let's talk about Brandy Carlisle. She uh, won a Grammy. She's got a wife. She thanked Seattle, yeah, and her Grammy acceptance. There you award. go. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite Brandy Carlisle song? I don't care for her music <laughs> uh, at all. It's not really my thing. She's a country rock person. Oh, I did not know that. I thought country rock was more like um, that guy from The Voice who is dating Gwen Stefani. Keith you know Urban? Talking about? No. Oh, I love Keith Urban, So though. that's a country singer. Oh, yeah. I love him. Um, no. Blake Shelton. That's who I was That's another of. country singer. That's yeah. pop country. But yeah. that, oh, not country rock. No, that's, that's Billy a pop Billy Ray Cyrus, country. would he be That is pop country. country. Rock? Okay. I don't know my country flavors. I just know what my dad listened to on the radio in 2013, and I avoid it now. Oh, Thomas Rhett, he's good, though. I like him. In terms of country, I usually listen to, like, Orville Peck, who is a country singer, is queer. Um, Dougie Poole is, like, alt-country, cosmic country. I like a lot of 70s cosmic country, like um, Commander Cody. Of course, Lil Nas X. Sure. (laughs) The greatest country singer of all time, perhaps? You know, Lindsay, I'm going to disagree with you. (laughs) We can agree to disagree on that. But I stand by it. Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, <laughs> anyway, Brandy Carlisle, every interview I've ever seen with her and every time she shows up, she's really cool, but I never really got into her music the same way a lot of people did. So, yeah, that was a bust. <laughs> Let's get serious. Serious black, that is. I wrote about the fucking Hogwarts thing that came out today, Hogwarts Legacy. Millennial nerds are rejoicing. Well, here's the thing. There's a trans character. Her name is Serona Ryan. Hate that. Yeah, Serona is a goddess of healing in Celtic mythology. The name's been around forever, but people on Twitter are like Sir, Ona, Ryan, and are freaking out because they don't have better things to do with their days. I I did a lot of digging. It's a trans actress voicing the character, but a lot of people are misgendering her. 
um, because she has a deeper voice. So that's a thing. Avalanche is uh, the gaming software company. They, they released a statement with IGN that you can check out. I quote some of it in my article, but essentially they're like, we know that there are queer people that play these games and that we want to make a, an inclusive sort of situation. Rowling does still get royalty fees for this shit, so if you really don't want to support her, don't buy the game. It's as simple as that. Don't buy the game. She doesn't care about your feedback. I have my fucking Harry Potter books from when I was a kid on my shelf right here. The books were fine. The books were good. We we all latched onto them because it was kind of the last time that any of us felt connected by a work of literature in a cruel and uncaring world where things just keep getting worse and worse every year. That is so bleak. Harry Potter wasn't that good, was it? What about The Hunger Games? The Hunger Games were fine, but I didn't have friends, family, and teachers all excited about the new Hunger Games book. There weren't seven Hunger Games books. I read (laughs) them when they came out immediately, and then the movies came out and a bunch of other people read them. They're fine. It's, It's YA fiction. The thing about... Everyone says the world building in Harry Potter is really great. It's not. The characters are genuinely very endearing and very human which is why i think that people are still so pissed off that she's such a turf you know and it was the last time millennials a lot of us felt connected to anything on a mass scale that wasn't a tragedy um so that's why i think people latch onto it so much and they're so defensive of it the woman's worth a billion dollars uh she continues to write under robert galbraith which is potentially a nod to an anti-LGBTQ therapist who was a proponent of conversion practices. She's denied it, but she's very choosy about her names unless it comes to any sort of minority. (laughs) Yikes. Cho Chang, guys. Kingsley Shacklebolt, the most prominent black man in wizarding Europe. And his name is Kingsley Shacklebolt. The one Jewish character that's not a goblin, Anthony Goldstein. You said she was good at character building? We all knew she was problematic. The signs were there. She was good at character Mm -hmm. building for the main characters. She created characters that she really cared about and that we really cared about, right? No, I have not read a single Harry Potter book or seen the movies, and it's actually something I pride myself on. So you're like one of those people that's like, oh, Star Wars? Never seen it. I, I have seen um, one Star Wars. The one that the meme about um, Adam Driver being a wide boy. That one. I watched it for the meme. Um, it was pretty good. Sure. I like Adam Driver. Yeah. Anyway, millennials <laughs> growing up, all we had to was sort of escapist fantasy because, you know, that's what we had. And if it wasn't escapist fantasy like Harry Potter or Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, it was escapist fantasy like, oh, hey, kid, go to college. You'll be fine. You can follow your dreams and you can do what you want and you can achieve anything that you put your mind to, you know. Um, so I I, uh, I understand why people latch on to this idea that there is magic in the world um, and I have a lot of sympathy for them, but, uh, you know, people really latch on to that, and it's because the world is a dark place. (laughs) But yeah, even so, the things that she put into her world as rules, hard and fast rules, were always problematic. 
Oh, like what? What are some of her rules? Oh, man, I can go so into this. So goblins, for whatever reason, barred from practicing magic. Like, they can't own wands, they can't do this, they can't do that, but they are of human intelligence. The government of the Wizarding World decides they are not allowed to. Vampires, for whatever reason, even though they were probably human beforehand, uh, once they have transitioned into something more powerful and become a truer version of their self, uh, they're not allowed to practice magic. They're just barred from that. So I guess she doesn't like any sort of transitions. Um, one of her main characters, Hagrid, has a cute story where he just keeps werewolf pups underneath his bed in school, but werewolf pups are just babies like 29 days of the month. It's just human babies. Anyway, the government of the Wizarding World is very specific about what counts as human and what doesn't and who can and can't practice magic. They were very instrumental in, like, World War II, but they were doing their own thing. What? She wrote, like, world history into the Harry Potter franchise? The Wizarding World is just, on Earth, a secret conspiracy of wizards to keep themselves separate from non-wizards. So there's all of this magic and all of this stuff. That's another reason it caught on so well. It's because it's low magic. It's low fantasy, right? So it's... Mm -hmm. Very it's kind easy. Kind of like Wizards of Waverly Place. Kind of. The reason Wizards of Waverly Place was made was because it, Harry Potter was really popular. Mm. That was a good show. Yeah, it was fine. I did watch that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I know some of the lore, you know. Sure. I don't live under a rock. Right, but that's the basic premise, is there is another world. It's another world. I didn't realize that. I thought it was, like, It's not, like, a different, like, everyone has magic or whatever. It specifically is made clear that there are people that are gifted and people that are not. So they don't do things to, like, stop world atrocities like the Holocaust? No. I've always had problems with this. Also, they have confirmation bias in the sorting hat, right? So you've got four flavors of kid <laughs> for some reason. And at age 11, they put a hat on you and they're like, this is who you are for the rest of your life. How is that confirmation bias? So when you tell a child, mm -hmm. you are this way. You are always going to be this way. You're smart, or you're uh, evil, or you're Wait, whatever. Wait, is one of the houses that they get sorted into an evil house? Do they just tell these kids? Yeah, Slytherin, they're... wizard Nazis, oh, literal they're wizard Nazis? Nazis. Yeah, they're sort of Nazis. Death Eaters are Nazis. So every fucking millennial that has one of those Death Eater tattoos should have thought twice. But whatever. Voldemort is basically just bad fascism. Like, he's not even good at his job. There are not that many people in Wizarding Britain. He couldn't kill a fucking kid. Look, if you can turn things into other things and you're already breaking the law, right? Turn a bottle of glass into a vapor and let it loose and then drop the spell. I think they should use their magic for good and, like, stop world hunger or something. Yeah, but if that they you can't do that apparently. Oh, it's one of her rules. Uh, yeah, I guess she just wants people to suffer. <laughs> okay. But yeah, it's back to confirmation bias, right? Is if you tell a kid they are a certain way, their whole life, like from the time they're a, an adolescent, they will be that, and yeah. their whole society, the whole country of magical Britain, which is within the walls of regular Britain, hinges on the education of a select few brainwashed british children who have been told that every human being can be categorized into one of four <laughs> categories wait okay so if the wizarding world takes place in magical britain 
is there like magical china and yeah. magical okay so like every country has its own yeah harry potter world basically right did they experience colonization in the same way that other parts of the world did? So the... They did because it's associated with every other real historical event, okay. right? So wait, was, sorry, was there a wizard Hitler then? Did they like have a wizard holocaust? Sort of. That's kind of what the Fantastic Beast movies are about. What? Grindelwald was like a really dark wizard that Dumbledore sent another hapless innocent to fight. And Dumbledore was there, whatever. He's a war criminal. We don't have to get into that. But, um, yeah, so Grindelwald was kind of like Wizard Hitler, sort of, except that he just really wanted power. Hitler was still happening. Like, during all of the wizarding wars of the 40s, Hitler still existed, and they could have stopped it if they wanted to in the history of this book. But they didn't. Because they're anti-Semitic. Well, no, well, J.K. Rowling is, but also because the... Wizards at large don't care about anything outside of it's isolationism, right? So like they they don't want other people to know about magic. Oh, kind of like Wakanda. Kind of like Wakanda. Okay, yeah, yeah, I get that. So what what Avalanche Games tried to do with this thing is the game itself is set in 1890, and they were like, hey, look, we're trying to right some of the anti-Semitic wrongs by doing this like uprising of the working class, in this case goblins. We're introducing a trans character. Uh, we're not going to make you choose a gender. You get to choose a voice option and whether or not you want to be in the witch's dorms or in the wizard's dorms, but we're not going to confine you to your oh, bodily really sex. Cool. It is really cool. They're trying to make up for it, and people are freaking out because I even saw someone be like, oh, well, Sorona, goddess of healing... Her traditional symbols are snakes and eggs, which I don't think that's even true. But they're like, snakes and eggs, dicks. You know? J.K. Rowling had almost nothing to do with this uh, thing. The world itself in the video game, she owns it. She gets royalties for it. But she has nothing to do with any of the characters. She doesn't own any of the characters. So she gets fewer royalties than she would. Mm -hmm. However, it doesn't really matter. The woman's worth a billion dollars. There are already 500,000 pre-release players. So a bunch of people already bought the thing. Um, I'm not going to play it. I, I don't really feel the need to dive any more into the Wizarding World than I already have. There are better fantasy novels out there. Lord of the Rings also has a lot of problems, you know? They, all, of, all of these fantasy authors have issues because they're people. And the, pro, the difference between that and J.K. Rowling is that she's now, right? Um, we've talked about fantasy on the show before. The dwarves in Tolkien are Jews. Like, he was not shy about that fact. He actually thought it was a compliment. They, they have a lot of noble characteristics that he found very admirable in the Jewish people. But they're also still short, hairy, with big noses. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it, he, he was misguided. The dwarven language is Semitic. It's a Semitic language, meaning that it stems from an Assyrian root much like Hebrew. That is fascinating. It's, it is really fascinating. And he thought he was doing uh, the Jewish population a favor. And in a way, it was sort of an homage. And I think that's really beautiful. J.K. Rowling is not even trying with, yeah. with, her, with her minorities, right? The goblins being money-grubbing secretive bankers with big hooked noses. I'm surprised it didn't get sorted into goblin when I took the Pottermore test. <laughs> I'm Slytherin, by the way. Because millennials are going to keep judging people on what they were sorted in. And we're not going to stop it. Anyway, we're out of time. I've talked about this for way too long. <laughs> the Harry Potter world, 
is disappointing to us as adults because we're realizing, oh shit, we fell for this. And this very hateful person ruled a lot of our lives and crafted so many fond memories. It's, it's a betrayal. But just get over it. Read a different fucking book. I think there, there is such a problem with white authors. First of all, whenever they think that they are doing any kind of a favor to a group that they are not a part of, that includes like cis straight authors trying to write trans and queer characters, yeah. white authors trying to write BIPOC characters, and you know, non Jewish people trying to write Jewish characters. But especially with the fantasy genre, I think because it is so white cis het dominated that it's it's always refreshing to see when somebody outside of that mold breaks into it. But it is pretty rare. It's a very well gate kept genre. I feel. I feel differently, but I know that the most popular books are the ones that are written by white Christians. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is inherent to our society. Even going back to like Narnia being an allegory for Jesus. Right. Yeah. And Tolkien and Harry Potter and all of that. So there are fantasy books available that are not that. And there, there are a lot of them. I have a full shelf of paperbacks from like the 70s and 80s that are not that specifically not that anyway guys that's our show happy valentine's day tell someone you love them even yeah. if it's just your pet i will be giving peter extra kisses on his head maybe some chicken hearts too he really likes those yeah <laughs> yeah happy valentine's day if you don't have anybody to love to wrap your arms around love yourself yeah you know, uh, love is not a finite commodity. It's It continues to be produced naturally by humans as long as we allow ourselves to love. Yeah, well, and loving yourself is really the most important thing. Like, such a cliche to say, but I feel like you can't truly love others if you don't love yourself. I don't know if that's true, but I'm also deeply damaged. <laughs> uh... Thanks, guys, so much for listening. Pick up a copy of the SGN. If you want to donate, you can donate to us. Go to sgn.org and click that bright pink donate button. Our archives are now available from 1977 to 2018 online. We're still working on finding some from the early 70s and some from the 80s. I'm looking through the archives later today, and I'm very excited to announce that because they've been working really hard. Um, A lot of big stuff in the works. Uh, thank you again for listening. We love you, all our listeners, especially um, the Lindsay stands. And we'll see you in the funny pages. Radio SGN is hosted by A.V. Eichenbaum and Lindsay Anderson and produced by A.V. Eichenbaum. Music for this show was provided by TRG Banks and Jesse Spillane or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on sgn.org or wherever you find podcasts. This podcast is part of the Seattle Gay News Podcasting Network.